0: Your Bibles, turn to First Kings chapter ten. First Kings ten. Um, uh, uh, due to the length, we're covering a chapter and a half. Um, I, I, I say chapter ten. Actually, turn to chapter eleven. I want to read the middle of chapter eleven, a few verses, and then because of the length, we'll we'll do some some summarization. First uh, Kings chapter eleven. Um, and if you will stand with me out of reverence for for God's holy word. The writer of First Kings writes in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chapter 11, starting in verse 9. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice, you have not kept my covenant, my statues that I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant." Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it away from the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son, for the sake of David, my servant, for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Still, Lord, our Father, I ask, Lord, as we, we draw this study of Solomon to a conclusion, we're reminded of the highs and lows that we we ask the Lord that we, we don't do the things that Solomon did that we don't uh, be given the gift of wisdom only to choose foolishness in the end, that we will indeed finish well. So Lord, as always, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, and our feet, that we will go in obedience to Christ, and that you will be glorified in all that we are and all that we do. And help us to reach Frankfurt for your glory and kingdom. And let us be your people who walk in your righteousness. And may I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Seated. I know we Americans have short memories, but do you remember in, in uh, May of 2022, the Kentucky Derby? Kentucky Derby is sort of a big thing around here, but do you remember that race in particular? The winner was a guy by the name of Rich Strike, and uh, the guy, is a horse, it's not a guy. Um, <laughs> forgive me, it's a horse. Um, but but the, yeah, I don't know if you remember the race at all, but Rich Strike was not the favorite to win. In fact, if, if you were to stop the race, let's say halfway, and you were to guess who was going to win the race, you would have picked some of the favorites, many of whom were right there in the front where everyone had gambled and bet that they would be. But Rich Strike was more in the back. But if, so if you, you pause it there, you think Rich Strike stands no chance. Well, lo and behold, particularly with the last stretch, you know, down the stretch they come, Rich Strike goes by everybody, wins the 2022 Kentucky Derby. And just, just, it was an incredible race. You, you can YouTube it, watch it again. Uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll find it there. Uh, it is a really, really an amazing, amazing race. And, and I remember watching that thinking, it just goes to show in sports, as it is in life, doesn't matter how you begin. What really matters is how you end. If we could think of the stories of Saul, David, and Solomon. All three men embody that right there. They all started off really well. They all failed miserably in the end. Perhaps no one embodies this more than Solomon. Now, if you were to judge Solomon's kingdom from a distance, you would say that Solomon was a successful king. Some of you may remember that the week before the 1980 presidential election, then incumbent President Jimmy Carter and the uh, uh, governor Ronald Reagan had a debate, a televised debate. And, and, And people only remember one thing from that debate all these years later, and that is that Governor Reagan asked a simple question. Are you better off today than you were four years ago when, when President Carter took office? You remember what President Carter's answer to his opponent's question was? It was no. You are not better off after four years of my leadership. That's a bad answer, by the way. Like, I mean, politicians lie about everything. You would think he would lie about that. Nevertheless, he gave the answer, no, you're not better off. And with that... President, well, Governor Reagan became President Reagan, let be honest. Well, if we were to ask Solomon that question after 40 years of his leadership, everyone would agree we are certainly better off than what we were. I mean, look at the temple. Look at our economy. Look at our enemies, how they're leaving us alone. We are better off. Just simply look around. And yet, the way the biblical writers would have you to believe that, that everything was falling apart, on the surface, as we've talked about last few weeks, on the surface, everything looked okay. But, but in reality, Solomon's uh, uh, faithfulness to the covenant of God affected everything. That is to say that in many ways, due to sin, he fell away from the faith. He failed to finish well. And the pattern we see with Solomon, we still see today. The pattern starts, first of all, with rebellion. This starts in chapter 10, verse 14, where we left off. Chapter 10, verse 14. Now, since chapter 9, as we said, we've, we've been the writer's been preparing the reader for this. Although we've seen some successes, like the Queen of Sheba, below the surface we see that Solomon's heart is being turned away. Maybe no one else is noticing it, but his heart is beginning to turn away. And what happens when your heart begins to turn away, if you don't address it then and there, your heart will be given away. And what we see is Solomon's heart being given away. Remember that very few people wake up one morning and decide to abandon their faith. Rather, it has been a slow process of compromise. And now we're seeing what that process looks like. Notice the particular temptations for Solomon. It begins with riches, chapter 10, verse 14, to the end of the chapter. Now, the writer details the financial and economic achievements of Israel under Solomon. We've seen that for several chapters. Go all the way back to chapter three, and he takes the throne. Through his acts of wisdom, uh, the economy booms, trade opens up, and they're able to import a lot of stuff like from Lebanon and, 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 and Tyre and other places. And that's how they're able to build the temple, the palace, the fortresses, the walls, everything else, right? So, so, so we're, we're used to reading about Solomon's great wealth, and it makes sense. If you are wise with, with money, that there can be some benefits from it. However, what is different in this description is not just that Solomon became wealthy, but that all the wealth was only for Solomon. You see, in his foolishness, he began to hoard wealth for himself like a dragon in his lair. Look at it there in verse 14. It says that wealth was coming to Solomon, not to Israel or to the people of God. It was coming to Solomon. You notice there in verse 15, from the business of merchants, from all the kings of the West and from the governors of the land. Notice that that used to come into the economy. It used to come into the nation. Now it's just going to one man. He is profiting off of his power. And most of that wealth went to benefit himself. Verse 16, he strengthened his army in looks and powers all the shields are made of gold i don't know if you know this or not but there are better resources to make your shields out of if you go to war unless you want them to look pretty and to make you look powerful so he made them of gold. In verses eighteen to twenty-one, he decorated his own palace to look more um, 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 powerful. Right, his throne was made of ivory and gold. Verse eighteen, and the throne had six steps with lions on each side, and he and, and he had these, these these lions on both sides, so that you would have to ascend the lions of the tribe of Judah. Remember? He's 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 from from that tribe, but also let's be honest, having a throne full of like twelve lions just sounds awesome. Let's, let's be honest with that, right? If this were Minecraft, you would do this. I don't, I don't know anything about Minecraft. really just making fun of uh, Gen Zs. Anyways, notice there, verse 20, the like of this was never made in any kingdom. Now, who benefits from six steps leading up to a throne with lions on both sides? Not the poor. Not the middle class. Not even state workers, if you can believe it. It's all for one man's ego. Furthermore, verses 26 to 29, he, he expands his military power. And much of that, of that strength came in violation of the Mosaic law. Why? Because he's bringing so much of it in from Egypt. We talked about this last week, the horses and the chariots and all that from Egypt. Remember that when they left Egypt, they were to leave Egypt behind. And so you see that his heart is being turned away by wealth. Sound familiar, America. Perhaps there is nothing we hold higher esteem than wealth. It's why parents tell their their young adult children that money matters more than marriage and your career matters more than children. And we wonder why our young people are pursuing careers and not families, wealth and not marriage. Well, we get riches and Solomon's heart is following for riches. And then starting chapter 11, we see he he goes after what, what I have here is revelry. Not only was Solomon guilty of lust for wealth and power, but he was guilty of lust for women. Most scholars agree that many of these relationships were political in nature. There it is, chapter 11, verse, verse one, right? You, you're familiar with, with this. Uh, now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, uh, Sid, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning the Lord that said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they uh, with you, for for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. You know one of the things I've noticed at the years of, mar- uh, years of, of, of pastoral ministry? It is very rare that when a believer goes into relationship with a non-believer, the non-believer becomes a believer. Almost always it's the opposite. That eventually your heart becomes seduced and you walk away from the faith. Here is Solomon, uh, and and he's given his heart away to the nations. Remember, Israel was to be a light among the nations. Rather, what we have are the nations seducing Israel. Here in the person of Solomon, his lust gets the best of them. Now, scholars largely agree that many of these are for political purposes. Remember, if you want to keep peace, there's a number of ways you do it. One, you could build you a big army and scare everybody off. That helps. Another you can do is you can enter into diplomatic and political alliances, which is often sealed through marriages. This still happens today. and certainly happened in the ancient world, even in the more modern world in the West. Think of the kings and queens of England uh, passing their children around for the purpose of peace. But foolishly, Solomon assumed he was secure in peace when in reality he was assuring his kingdom's demise. He has given his heart to someone else rather than to the Lord. You know, it's, it's, it's no accident or no surprise, rather, to see that the two great falls of Solomon were wealth and women because he gives his heart away to them. The story has been written over and over and over and over again. And that is why what it is that we see starting in verse 4 to 8 is not only is he guilty of riches and reverie, the root of it is reverence. It's reverence. Look at it there in verse Four. By the way, notice the end of verse three, just, just for just for a little bit of context. Solomon clung to these in love. Notice the language is his lust for women became the driving force of his entire being. And that opens up the door starting in verse four. Uh, or go down to verse four. When Solomon was owed, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. His heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the uh, Sidonians, and after uh, Milcom, the, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did all for his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods notice his lust for wealth his lust for power his lust for women led him down to a path by which he abandoned a faith but we need to know the minute you surrender absolute and full worship of god your heart will be led astray after these lesser beings The writer is, is helpful in showing that, yes, what you see is the power. What you see is, is the riches, like Scrooge McDuck. What you see is all these women around that, 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 that he, he's, he's going after. But the real problem is his hearts. He stopped worshiping the one and true living God. And therefore, he exchanged the wisdom of the divine for the foolish of the blind. And here he is. He's thrown everything away. For what? What is he really gaining? Because at the root of all sin is idolatry, false worship. We believe that if I have more of this, if I can accomplish that, if people will think of me like this, then I'll be happy. Then my problems will be solved. Then I'll have peace. Then I'll love myself and look in the mirror more. Then I'll be approved by others. Then I can forget my past. Then I can be healed. Then I can be whatever it is that we're looking for what we find is a vicious cycle of brokenness upon brokenness upon brokenness before for a long we're just shattered in the end in solomon the wisest of the wise become the greatest fool of them all that's the real enigma of solomon isn't it how can the wisest of men prove to be so foolish and here's the reality is wisdom does not transform the hearts you need a savior for that you could read your books you could follow the right people online you can take the, the classes, you can get the career, you can, you can have the access to wealth, you can be famous and everything else, but, but what we need is a savior. And Solomon turned away from him. So that leads, so we, we, we see the rebellion and starting in chapter 10 going into chapter 11. And then what we read earlier, verses nine to 13 is the rebuke from God. God does not ignore Solomon's sin. He may have been the wisest of men, blessed by God, but he does not ignore sin and that is good news our culture, our country, and this cosmos is full of great sin, and it is good news that God does not ignore it, for that would be an unjust God. Even when we don't understand why the wicked seem to prosper in this world, we have the assurance that justice will triumph and judgment will be rendered. God hates sin and he is angry at sinners. What makes Solomon's actions so striking is laid out for us there in verse 9. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Notice that the writer says the problem with Solomon was his heart. His heart turned away from the Lord, thus to lesser deities. Here in the form of wealth and wisdom, or wealth and, and women, right? Rather than the God of wisdom. But more than that, he says, what is so offensive about what Solomon does is God actually appeared to Solomon. The list of people who can honestly say that is quite a short list. I, mean, I don't know about you, but, but God doesn't just show up in the morning when I'm getting ready and I'm still sleepy, right? We just, we don't have conversations like that. But Solomon did on two occasions. We've looked at those occasions, chapter 9 being one, chapter 3 being the other. Despite God showing special and unique favor upon Solomon, still he walked away from it all. Walked away from every bit of it. Quite offensive to think of it. And so in verses 11 to 13 we read earlier, God God renders his judgment to Solomon. He says, I'm going to split everything. I'm just going to split it. I'm going to keep my promises to David, and the tribe of Judah will remain. I'm going to split everything else. Many people will blame your son Rehoboam for being the fool that he is. But the truth is, this is beginning with you. Now, we've been ready for this as, as a reader, right? Because we started all the way back in 1 Samuel, middle of 1 Samuel, story of David. We've worked our way through all of 1 Samuel, all of 2 Samuel now, halfway through, through 1 Kings. And, and if you read carefully, you may have noticed that Israel was always divided. There was a northern half, there was a southern half. You remember that when when David first became king, he became king of the southern tribes. However, David managed to reunify Israel, right? There was always that tension. Every nation, essentially, there's that tension between two two groups, right? In America, it was north versus south. Now it's basically coast versus inland, right? The heart of America, right? And that's the language we use now. Every nation has this sort of pull. Saul was able to keep it together. David was able to keep it together. Solomon was able to keep it together. But because of Solomon is leading Israel away from the Lord, the unifying power of grace is lost. So now people turn inward instead of outward towards the Savior. They turn inward because sin will always turn you inward and against the outward. And so once Solomon dies and Rehoboam takes over, he really has no chance. Because the complaint to Rehoboam is we struggled and suffered under Solomon's rule and reign there at the end. Will you fix it? And he says no and he splits. That begins here because his heart is led astray. He leads the people poorly. Sin will always have consequences. It will always have consequences. And that leads finally to the Retribution. In chapter 11, verse 14, going all the way in to the end of the chapter. Although the division of Israel is the ultimate judgment God will send to Solomon and his kingdom, God sends retribution in the immediate, right? So, so you see, you see final judgment, you see immediate judgments. And we see that right here in this text. These come in the form of political and military enemies for Solomon. There are three here. We, we can't go in a lot of detail, just to highlight a few things. And these names will be on your quiz at the end. First is um, Hadad hey the Edomite. Now, remember, the Edomites were descendants of Esau, who, were, who was the brother of Isaac. So these should be cousins. They should get along, but they don't. They're always at each other's throat. And basically, um, uh, uh, Hadad, hey Dad, he, he, he basically, uh, he escapes. You know, David tried to wipe all the uh, Edomites out. He escapes to Egypt. And he's, he's lit his wounds. Now he's rounding up the troops, and he's going to start attacking. He is going to attack from the south. But I want you to notice this is the most important part of this section, is that this man is being sent from Egypt. Now remember, Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter. She's always called Pharaoh's daughter. Never Solomon's wife, but Pharaoh's daughter. And, and Solomon spoiled her. He gave her her own palace. He gave her everything she ever wanted. Why? Because he wanted peace with Egypt. He wanted the chariots. He wanted the horses. He wanted the wealth. He wanted all of this. And so he married into the family. Despite all of that, what does Pharaoh do? He's sending out enemies to undermine Solomon. A lot of good those alliances did. A lot of good that marriage is doing him. And so you have Hadad attacking from the south. That leads, verses 23 to 25, Rezin, the son of Eliada. He is attacking from the north. This is a guerrilla warfare guy. It says that he loathed Israel. He's from Syria. He, he becomes the, the king of Damascus. He basically uh, rounds up a, and he's a leader of a marauding band. He's just attacking and attacking and attacking. And so, whereas Hadad attacked from the south, Rezin is an external enemy that's going to attack from, from the north. And, and to Solomon, these two are significant gnats. He just can't swat away, can't get rid of them. So you have these two external enemies that are threatening the peace Solomon has secured. But not only do you have external enemies, you have an internal enemy as well. And that is how uh, uh, the story of Solomon ends, verses 26 to 40 in chapter 11. This is a man by the name of Jeroboam. Growing up, I never could keep Jeroboam and Rehoboam together. Right? Hopefully you can do a little better than I did. this is Jeroboam. He is of the tribe of Ephraim, who is the son of Joseph. And Solomon wisely sees in Jeroboam a man of great uh, capabilities. And so he brings him into his administration, right? Treats him well, does everything. What does Jeroboam do? He ends up rebelling. This is someone from the inside who becomes an enemy of Solomon. This is the Jeroboam who will become the first king of the northern tribes. And he's right here in Solomon's camp. And before Solomon dies, he becomes the problem. In fact, can I go down to verse 40 for you? Chapter 11, verse 40, just to highlight this. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. There's so much there. One, I want you to notice that he goes to Egypt, there it is. Egypt is bringing in the enemies of Solomon. He thought Egypt was his friend. By the way, this will be retold with the history of Judah, right? As they will constantly turn to Egypt, save us, protect us. These Syrians are coming, the Babylonians are coming, and the Egyptians never are able to help. They don't learn their lesson. God says, leave them behind, move on. I'll protect you, Pharaoh owns. But I want you to also notice that in verse 40, we have a repeat of the story of David and Saul. You remember the story of David and Saul? Saul sees in David a man of great capability, a man who can lead an army, a man who can sing a song with the best of them, a man who can do many things. What does Saul do? He gets jealous. He becomes consumed with rage and envy and bitterness. And so David has to flee. He goes to the Moabites. What's the story of Jeroboam? Solomon sees in him a threat, and so Jeroboam has to flee, and Solomon wants to have him killed, and so he has to flee to the Gentiles. And in the end, Solomon becomes like Saul. And we're to see that connection. Why? Because he exchanged the wisdom of the Lord for the foolishness of sin. He started off so well, but man, he ended so poorly. Sin has consequences. No peel can protect you. No army can guard you. Sin has consequences. He started so well that he faded in the end. The sad truth that the, this collapse of Solomon was avoid, avoidable. If only he never gave his heart away to lesser beings. And this is the story of so many, so many Christians in the United States of America, isn't it? Perhaps there are some here today. This will be your story at some point. You'll choose bitterness. You'll choose animosity. You'll choose your political party. You'll choose your lust for wealth or power, or influence. You'll choose the opposite sex. You'll choose an experience. You'll choose leisure. You'll choose ease. You'll choose retirement. You'll choose something else, but it will be the lesser of beings. And so you'll exchange the wisdom of Christ with the foolishness of sin. Started off so well. Ended so poorly. Many of you all know that I love to run. I've hurt my ankle, so I have not been running for a while. Not to mention it was summer, and I don't like running in the heat. But, but I'm to get out and run again. And I love races. And one of my favorite races I ever did because of this punk kid was right in front of me, right? And and, and I, every, you do any race, and there's always this group of young boys, right? And, and they go in the front, and they take off and run as fast as they can, right? And, you, and you're about to do three miles, six miles, 10 miles, 13, whatever it is. And never It never fails. There's a bunch of these these, these 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 kids right in the front, and they take off and run. I remember one kid in particular, he did that, right? And I'm just laughing because I start in the back with the slow people because it helps boost my, ego when I'm passing them you know a mile down the road you judge me all you want to I don't care I don't care it helps me helps my ego and, and so this kid, he's, he's like a mile and a half ahead of me, right? Whatever, that's his problem. I eventually catch up with him halfway through the race, right? And, and, and he, he, he jumps right in front of me, right? He's going, he's going, he's going. And then, and then he tapers off. And so I just go around him, just mind my own business. I'm listening to my Britney Spears uh, uh, jock jams, and I'm just going and going. And eventually, the kid, he takes off running to get in front of me, and he jumps right in front of me again. And he goes, and then he gets too tired, and he stops. I go around. He does this like three or four times, and it's annoying me to no end pick a lane, hoss, let's go. Now the kid is young enough, he has the energy enough, he ought to be able to beat me in any race, but why? He starts off so well, but he can't finish. And so it is for many of us in our spiritual lives. But here's the good news I have for you here. And the passage ends with the hope, hope of repentance. We can talk about rebellion, we can talk about retribution, we can talk about rebuke, but it is incomplete if we don't talk about repentance. Notice how it ends, verse 41. The rest of the Acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? In the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years, and Solomon slept with his fathers, was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. The passage ends with a brief summary of Solomon. This is typical of the writer of First and Second Kings. He lived, he reigned, he died, he was buried only to be replaced. This is the story of mankind, isn't it? You will live, you will work, you will die, you will be buried, you will be replaced. This is the story of humanity. But as we approach the conclusion of Solomon's story, it is right that we lament how he finished. But it is vital that we look at our own hearts. Will we finish well? And the, and the question is answered by repentance. You know, before there was GPS and all that, uh, my wife and I we, we lived in Louisville, and I used to work at Outer Loop. It was it was uh, off uh, the Gene Snyder sixty five sort of area, and and I remember one day there was I don't know if there was a wreck or if it was just rush hour traffic or whatever, but I I I went the wrong way, and all I had was a small map that fit in my glove box, and so I knew I was going the wrong way, but but I convinced myself the long way will be the short way because of the wreck or whatever it is that was going over here. So I, if I can't go to the interstate there, I go there because one the thing I learned about Louisville is. In general, you'll run into something you recognize. It may be West Virginia, you'll recognize it, right? You know, that's my general rule in, in life, right? I, coming back from Anita, right? I got on a, um, um, uh, our, our connector. What's the road highway just left, not 460? Um, the highway number? No, not 64 interstate. The highway, the connector, Leestown Road. 421, yes. Some of y'all been relying on your maps on your, on your, in your cell phones. You men have disappointed me. Yeah, yeah You know numbers, right? Like, on, I can't chase that rabbit. Anyway, so coming out of Nita, I thought, well, if I'm on that road, I'll eventually get to Frankfurt, right? That's what I was trying to do in Louisville. And at 20 minutes into my going the wrong direction, I discovered I was in a different county. And if I kept going down this road, I'll end up in a different part of the state's. Now, wisdom will say, if you want to progress forward, turn around. Turn around. Because 20 minutes into my drive, I realized I was 20 minutes farther away from my destination. That's all repentance is. Repentance is the recognition that I'm going down the wrong road. I think I'm going to go to my destination, but at some point I need to realize this is heading me away from my destination. The wise will repent. The wise will turn around. That is all that repentance is. It sounds easy, but repentance will be one of the hardest things you do in your life. Christ is asking you to leave behind the things you love the most because they do not truly love you. Solomon loved his power. He loved his wealth. He loved women. And all he got in return was ruined. Are you today willing to abandon everything that is robbing you of divine joy and perfect righteousness? Are you willing to surrender your idols. Anything worth pursuing is hard work and requires difficult, hard decisions. The good news is that Christ is willing to carry your burdens and to liberate you from sin, but we must believe in Christ and to walk away from these idols. Let us do the opposite of Solomon. Let us finish well, and we will finish well by the means of repentance. One of the questions I get a lot from believers is that I can't believe what's come of the world, particularly in this last week. My family and I, we're hoping to go to the Holy Land next year. That would be awesome, a trip of a lifetime. I may retire after that. But it was just the other day, it was yesterday morning, Friday morning, I text mom, hey, they're at war. A good friend of mine was supposed to be in Israel right now. Had to cancel everything because of war. That's just a small part of the violence and chaos and everything we're seeing in our world today. And oftentimes we want to ask, what has come of this world? Then I read Solomon and I realize it's the wrong question, isn't it? What's become of the church? What's become of believers? What's become of me? It's always easy to blame someone else for the problems that we have caused for the sins that we have committed. Solomon won't let us get away with that. Maybe you've held on to a pattern of behavior that is slowly corroding your spiritual life. I'm going to ask that you repent of that. Abandon it today. Walk away from it and be healed. Maybe you have surrendered to sin, a false idol, false worship. I'm going to ask that you, you, you give that up today so that together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can finish well. And in finishing well, we will prove to be wiser than Solomon himself. In this time of invitation, I ask that you will come. If you've never embraced Christ, would you come and embrace him here today? And if you have sin, I ask that you crucify and abandon that sin today. Would you come and let us together finish well? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I ask that you would be so kind.